Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. We did have some bad weather yesterday. I know some people are having to clean up from the storm and, and stuff. And I just want to take just a minute uh, to talk about that. Because when a storm comes in and hits whether it's a hurricane or like yesterday tornadoes and and thunderstorms and such when the storm is done i know everybody wants to just file an insurance claim and leave it for the insurance company to handle everything we have a responsibility and that is to secure the property to keep damage from getting worse so what you're going to need to do is make sure first of all document everything take pictures of it before you start touching stuff i mean document with pictures of everything then if you got holes in the roof or something you need to get them covered up use a tarp or whatever document save receipts for everything because typically you can get reimbursed for that if you've got wet carpets inside uh, obviously that's going to create problems for molds and mildews and things like that. So same thing, document with photographs, uh, document the moisture, document everything, then take the carpets out and document it again and just set the carpets aside. Don't put them out for the trash man yet. That way when the adjuster comes, you've shown you've taken steps to keep damage from getting worse because the last thing you want to have happen is uh, let's say you left left carpet in there that got wet and it started mildewing and, and uh, putting mold on the walls and things like that. They can come back and argue that you didn't do your due diligence by having the carpet removed. And that's what led to this added expense. Now, I'm not saying you won't win that case. I'm just saying it leaves it open for an argument with them. But if, even if you hire somebody to come in and take the carpet out, save the receipts and again just document everything with photographs so you know it, it, they can see exactly what you did why you did it and typically all that is reimbursable because it's got to be done anyways and i'm not saying you have to physically be the one to go in there and pull the carpets out i'm simply saying make sure that it happens we're going to burleson and robert welcome to texas home improvement uh Yes, sir. Got a quick question. Uh, I had a new house built, and um, they it was during the last uh, during last year, and they were having a hard time sourcing the radiant barrier decking. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And so uh, I am not. I, I don't have that uh, decking, and I was wanting to know uh, to go back. Uh, would it be worth it to go back and do radiant barrier now that it's already up? Uh, and if so which radiant barrier spray on or the foil or can you guide me a little bit absolutely uh in fact i would tell you yes it is worth going back with a radiant barrier i would use a foil type instead of the spray on and the biggest reason uh spray on technically isn't even a radiant barrier uh they got away with saying that for years uh and actually the feds came down on that now and uh it does help, but here's the difference. A spray-on barrier, if it's mixed properly, sprayed on properly, and everything goes the way it should go, blocks 65% of the radiant heat. 
a foil barrier will block 95 to 97%, and there's no guesswork because it comes in a four-foot-wide roll. You put it up, and any place where that foil is, it's blocking that heat transfer. So the foil barriers are going to be a whole lot more energy-efficient. Um, the one I use is called Energy Q Radiant Barrier. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a uh, project on my son's house right now where we took an 8-foot ceiling and vaulted it up to follow the roof line. And so we pulled all the insulation out of the roof deck and put the radiant barrier up top, put uh, insulation in, and then another layer of the radiant barrier. Uh, that Energy Q radiant barrier is a multi-layer system so that it can be sandwiched in between building materials where just a standard uh, single-ply radiant barrier can't. It has to have dead air space. So they make a lot of different types of radiant barriers. You just want to make sure you get the one for your application. Uh, in my own attic, I have the radiant barrier laying on the attic floor on top of the insulation. So the attic does get heat in it. But that radiant barrier keeps the heat from getting in the insulation, which lowers my energy bills. I got you. I got you. Okay. Uh, do you have a maybe a name of a company that would, would do that uh, using that radiant barrier you suggested? Uh, call the folks over at uh, Energy Q Radiant Barrier, and their number is 1-800-900-6220. And uh, typically, yeah, typically the guy to talk to is Mark. All right, and he'll he'll right. uh, he'll get you hooked up. All right, man, I appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Take care. And again, one eight hundred two eight eight nine two two seven. Now, uh, just real quick on the radiant barriers. Like I said, there's a lot of different radiant barrier types out there. And if, uh, you know, you get the single-ply foil type, that you would staple up on to the roof rafters. And that helps keep the attic cooler. Uh, the type I was just talking about, the Energy Q, it can be stapled up there as well, but it can be laid on that attic floor. And I prefer that because, like I said, I'm trying to lower my energy bills, not necessarily just keep my attic cooler. Um, if you have decking up in the attic, you know, for putting boxes on and stuff, that's the nice thing on this Energy Q. It can go right over that plywood. You can walk on it without having to worry about ripping it or anything because you can literally pick it up and you can't tear it. Um, it doesn't lose its its uh, ability to work just because you've got boxes sitting on it. And so that's that makes it it's just a, a great product uh, for having in your attic. Abe, how are you today? Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Well, I'm glad you called uh, in. Thanks. Uh, I have an old house on Pier and Beam, and uh, it's you know, the floor is cold, real cold. There's no insulation down there, and I don't want to block the vents to right. the crawl space. What's a what would be a good insulation or to to insulate that floor? There is only one, and that uh -oh. is a closed cell foam. If you use oh, okay. uh, uh -huh. if you use like the fiberglass bat insulation. Or any of those type, uh, the the moisture that comes from the soil works its way into the insulation and it holds that moisture against the wood and starts it rotting. 
Uh, so you don't want to okay. put any type of regular insulation in there. But the closed cell foam, uh, it has a skin layer that it doesn't absorb any moisture. And, okay. And so you can insulate and, you know, not have to worry about it rotting the, the wood or anything. And you don't need a lot. Just a, an inch or two is all you uh -huh. need. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's head into Dallas. John, how are you? I'm doing great, sir. Enjoy your show. Thanks. So, uh -huh. uh, quick, quick question. As a, a guy with pretty deep engineering background and kind of hands-on like you are, I, uh, I just laugh and don't understand why in 2022 we're still building homes out of two-by-four construction. Curious if you're, uh, you have a comment to it. I think I know the answer, but... but uh, your, your response it's cheap yeah but but there's lots of materials which it, it, it is there is cheaper cheaper but you know like concrete and and uh and steel frame construction that lasts yep. you know, a long long time and don't get blown over by high winds yep but the, the the problem is um if you go with the steel or the concrete or anything like that the rest of the build out actually costs more and so, in the end, you're spending every bit as much, uh, and people are just so used to building out of sticks that they stick with it. Um, you know, I would, I actually would have thought last year, with the way wood prices went up, some of the other building materials might start catching on. But problem was, the cost of steel and everything went up as well, and. So it, it really didn't pull people out of that stick construction and move them into the other. But I, th I think over time, you are correct. We're going to see some of the building techniques start changing. Uh, I, I've really been surprised at the 3D houses, which they are building out of concrete, at uh, you know uh, how, how that is yeah, starting that to catch on. Yeah, but that doesn't work. You can't you can't build a house out of grout grout without steel reinforcement, right? So that's a silly silly construction yep. technique. But I mean, you know, <clears throat> you know, realistically though, if you go back into the early 1900s, right, uh, they actually built houses out of concrete. Uh, sure. But they they it just even back then they couldn't make it catch on. Well, that at leads me to a follow up question, which is, uh, I, I've owned several houses in Dallas, all with old-style pyramid beam construction that you can always repair, and looked at moving to suburbs and more you know, bigger houses. But I just can't, I can't get over the the, the horrible post-tension slab and concrete slab foundations that just always fail. I mean, I, I just when I, I, I just when I moved to Dallas in 1984, I bought a house in Lakewood that. At a pyramid construction, I checked with the structural engineers so they have the soil's great here, whatever. There wasn't there wasn't even the topic of a foundation repair company in Dallas then, right? And now there's ten ten million of them, right? Oh yeah. Why why don't why don't we build more at least modern versions of pyramid beams that, that can actually be repaired? Well you know, <laughs> once a slab fails, you can't repair it. You can patch it together, but you never repair it. Well, block and base, pier and beam, you got the same issues. They do move and have to be adjusted as well. But you uh, can fully repair them. I mean, you can go in and, and old, old, you can you can completely put it back to new with, with the pro proper t technique where 
Well, I guess I'm going to have to beg to differ with you on a slab because I level slabs every single day of the week. In fact, I've done over 100 and I'm up to about 140,000 foundation repair jobs that I've done in Texas. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I repair slabs every day. Now, if if that slab. You repair them, but but if you've ever had a statics and dynamics course, you understand kind of what happens when you start pushing on one edge of a structure and start cutting into it. It it changes the whole dynamics of 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 the of the structure. And Uh, hold, John, you want to? Can you hold on through the news break? Sure, because you just touched on something that yes, I definitely want to talk with you about that. Okay, when we left, we were talking with John in Dallas, and John, you there still? I am. Okay. So you started talking about when you underpin, you're shifting the loads of the structure. Well, I, I kind of, over over the decades you've been doing your work, I've been doing my work, and I, I kind of believe in the KISS method, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Right. And, uh, and you know, the soils in Dallas are just crazy. And, you know, an old-style pyramid beam is just so indestructible. And I, I've just seen, in looking at homes and buying homes, I, I've just seen, I haven't seen slab approach except for really 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 heavy commercial slab approach that don't fail and and every about every three years the the builders switch to a new new you know gimmick from post tension to post tensions underpinned with piers pier yep. tied to slabs to and and you go back the old style parent beam just works it, it, it's always fully repairable and it just cur- it curious you your wit, wisdom and doing what you do, I, I really, I really appreciate your your feedback on it. Because I, well, I, I, I guess with, the only I, argument I, I, I would have two arguments with you on it. One, I, I agree, pier and beam, block and base, easy to to repair, uh, but they do move just as much as a slab does uh, if they're not properly maintained, and that goes for slabs as well. I mean, uh, people forget that what causes most foundation problems is the moisture in the soil dries out it shrinks get wet it expands again trees take moisture out sewer leaks put moisture in and all these uh variables is what causes a foundation to move whether it's a slab or pier and beam block and base but a slab is fully repairable as long as it's got proper reinforcing and you just hit a, a key spot the post-tension stuff especially when they first came out with it was really garbage i mean they they put the cables six to nine feet apart uh um, they didn't include corners on it i mean i've seen houses where the corners have literally cracked off and and the cracks are six foot back from each direction now these are houses that were built back in the late 70s and literally the corner of the house would fall off that's not repairable now you can patch it but it's not repairable if you got a good conventional rebar slab or one of the the post-tension slabs that they started building where they put the cables every six feet apart, I mean, I'm sorry, every four feet apart, and included rebar in the beams, right? then you've got something that stays solid, and you can underpin it, pick it up, move it, and, and put it back where it needs to be with no problems. Just well, just the enough. same as you can with a with a pier and beam or block and base home. Well, that, that's good to know. It, it's uh... now I, I'm always, I'm going to go one step further though on the n- new construction of block and base pier and beam homes. 
Right. The new building codes, you know, just like you mentioned, the post-tension cables, those guys, the post-tension guys are screwing up slabs again. I mean, I, I go to, to, to different engineering groups and talks and stuff, and now they're working on putting the cables further apart again and all this stuff. Guys, learn from what you did in the past. Quit screwing it up. Keep the cables tight. Keep things close together, and it, it works. But they always look for a cheaper way to do it. But where the where they're screwing up on building codes now on block and base pier and beam, they're insisting on insulation being added underneath them. And I I got to tell you the the cost of replacing the wood that they're rotting out with that is unbelievable. They need to, if they're going to force the code to have insulation, they better specify the spray foam closed cell so it's not holding moisture on the wood because they are really tearing up homes. Is there any way to build the foam concrete construction? I can't remember what it's called, CDF or MDF or whatever it's called, on a pyramid beam, or does that have to be done on a slab? To do what now? Is there any way to build? I can't remember the, the you know, they have these foam forms you fill with concrete. Yeah. It's, it's CDF or what it's called. Is, is there any way to build that on a pyramid beam foundation, or does that have to be built on a slab? No, it it it, it can be built on a on a pyramid beam as well. I mean, I I did a house uh, in Arlington that was built in 1895, the brick and everything that was around the perimeter had gone, to, it, it wasn't salvageable anymore. So I, I picked the whole structure up, took all that old brick out, and used those uh, styrofoam forms to yeah. pour a new perimeter beam and set the house back down on it. I, I uh, so, and you, and you can continue entire. right on up with the walls that way. Yeah, well, I, 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 I love that construction technique. At least for a portion of a house. Yep. But I, uh, but I, but I, uh, I just wonder if the extra weight causes more foundation problems. You know, yes and no. Um, if you don't have the a rigid enough foundation, it will cause an area to move premature over another area. But on the same token, if you do the proper maintenance and stuff, you'll be fine. Or, or is it possible that the concrete walls tied to the to the foundation actually? make it more rigid and more resilient to movement? Uh, truthfully, the rigidness does not keep it from moving. Uh, right. It just moves as a whole, whole unit. Instead of getting deflection where you know it only reaches in, say, eight feet, now it the whole thing tilts all the way across the house. Well, Jim, Jim, you're, you're, you do a great service. I... I, I uh... I love your answers and then uh, love your show. So keep up the great work, John. You have a, a great 2022 with new LED spotlights installed, replacing older canned spotlights. Can I put insulation over the old can light frame in the attic? As old can lights installed in 2000 could not be covered with insulation, as I guess a fire hazard, and it was. It was a real fire. Hazard, so no, you did not want to put insulation over it. If the light fixture is still there and still has power to it, I'm going to tell you, do not cover it. Because although you know that you put insulation on it and shouldn't put lights in it anymore, you sell the house, they may not know that. And so it could become a fire hazard. Uh, So if it's disconnected where it doesn't have power to it and stuff, then... Yeah, I, I, I guess you could get away with covering it, but uh, personally, I would remove it before doing that. 
Uh, number two on it, I want to create an attic path to the furnace area versus using our drop-down ladder. Can I lay two by eight particle board pieces right over the attic insulation? Mm. Um, any problems with this? I guess it might pack down the insulation, so I might lose its effectiveness, but particle board might act like insulation. Uh, it, it won't act like an insulation. And yes, you'll be crushing down your insulation, which makes it way less effective because it's the dead air space in insulation that actually helps give it the R value. Um, and quite frankly, I wouldn't use a particle board. Now, you can get away with a chipboard or plywood, but the uh, particle board, you know, that, that's just the, the little bitty pieces uh, in an attic, over time, it'll be taken on moisture. Uh, that stuff will tend to expand and become extremely weak. And so one day you're going to be up there stepping on it and it's just plain going to break in, on you. And, and you, so you don't want to deal with that. So chip with, stick with either a chipboard, uh, plywood, or you know, you, uh, in the two by eight pieces were two foot by eight foot pieces that they were talking about. Uh, you, you'll just be way better off doing it that way. Now, personally, I, will, I don't even use the chipboard. I use regular plywood uh, simply because of the longevity and the added strength that it has compared to the other products. So that would be the direction I head. Douglas asks a real quick question. Jim, our driveway has cracks that need repair, causing unlevel driveway. Rather than go the route of total replacement, costly, I'm sure, I got a quote from a company uh, who will polyurethane foam to raise cracks and seal. Have you heard of this process? And if so, legitimate. Hey, it will raise it. Don't get me wrong. It will. But depending on those cracks, using the polyurethane to seal it, no, that's not going to work very well because if it's exposed to the sun, it will degrade. Uh, so you don't want to use that to seal up the cracks. If your cracks are more than a hairline where you've got to fill them in, the concrete is shot and needs to be replaced. Even when they start trying to lift it, it's not going to come out right. You'll get a lot of money into something that should have been replaced. We'll be right back. David, how can I help you? Yeah, hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. I have a beach house on Freeport. It's got three bed, uh, bathrooms. It was built in 2017. And... Two of the three bathrooms, oh, well, all three have ceramic tile, just 12 by 12. Mm -hmm. And two of the three bathrooms are starting to uh, crack when you step on a tile. You can you can hear it. It's like yep. the, the mud is, I don't know if the house is moving or the mud came loose. And we were thinking about uh, if we had to go in and repair it or replace it, we've heard about this vinyl these vinyl strips that are supposed to be good for houses like that. Yeah. And and the, the vinyl planks work great uh, because it's got the flexibility. I got an, Are you seeing any cracks in, in the drywall or anything? Nothing in the drywall and really not a whole lot of cracking, although there's some in the mortar between the tiles. It's just more of when you step on it, you could just hear it kind of crunching underneath, if okay. that makes sense. 
It oh, it, it perfectly. Uh, so it can be one of two things. One, the mastic they used uh, didn't is given way and, and crunch. You know that's what the crunching is you're hearing. But more than likely, what it is is are any of the tiles themselves cracking, or is it just the, the... no? Haven't seen it. Okay, then more than likely that's what it's going to be because the other thing it uh, typically can be is they only put one layer of three quarter inch plywood, and it's giving a little bit each time you step on it. But that would put a crack in the tile itself. So typically, when you don't have any cracks in the tile and you're hearing that crunching. It's it's actually just the mastic they use to put the tiles in that's uh, not performing well, and that that's what you're hearing is the underlayment cracking up. Uh, it could be a floor leveler under there or any number of things, but it's going to have to do with the material that they put under the tile itself. So is it best to just remove, try to re- re- replace just, you know those if you can even get the tile out without breaking it you won't and, uh, and reset it okay, okay. yeah there 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 is some very limited stuff that you can use to get tile out but what you're going to find is just leave it until you don't want to hear that crunching anymore or it starts cracking the tile and just figure replacing the floor and and that and that vinyl plank is there a particular brand that you would recommend you know, I've used the if we, went, uh, if we went back with that. I used the Wilson Art product, and uh, it it works great. And not only does it come in a plank that looks like wood, but they've got it in squares to uh, look like tile. And I've used both of them, uh, and I've had it down in one of, in my Dallas office now for let's see, I did built I built that in '06, and. Uh, Oh no! I built it before that. Even I guess that was O two, uh, and it's it's held up great. And does that float? If I pulled this tile up, cleaned it all down to the to the to the I guess the wood. Yep. Subfloor would would I would that final float or do I lay a a layer of adhesive down? It'd be on a layer of adhesive. Bill, this is Jim. How can I help you, Mister Jim Dutton? I'm running a uh, four inch. PVC drain line from down the side of my house out across the front yard out to the street. And in so doing, I'm coming about 10 feet from a big old pine tree, big pine tree, mm-hmm. with a, with a, a, a almost surface root, about six inch diameter root that I'll either go under or I could take an axe and cut that big root piece of that root out so it'd be a hell of a lot easier on me if I could chop cut out that root and uh, uh, and uh, the, the the lateral root that I'm talking about on this big pine tree is on the west side of the pine tree okay and for my for that pine tree to fall on my house and have to fall toward the north so I I just want to get your permission to cut out that, <laughs> cut out that root before I do it <laughs> well I, I I'll tell you if it was mine I wouldn't yes, even hesitate. How deep are you going to have to put this pipe? Oh, foot, a foot and a half. Cut the root. Yes, sir. You, oh, use, thank you, Jim. But don't don't use an axe. Use use a sawzall. It'll, it'll be a whole lot easier on you. Yes, sir. I, I I got an axe. I don't have a sawzall. Oh well, then you're you're down to using the axe then. Yes, sir. And one more thing, Jim. Sure. Years ago, your company put out a, put uh, a, the the watering system around my house. 
uh-huh. battery-operated watering system around my house. It comes on, I think it's twice a day for about 30 minutes. It does a little drip yep. drip job around my house. Everybody in my neighborhood, everybody in the whole neighborhood has had uh, slab work done except uh, except us. That's a, that's a sure a nice little deal you did for us, I don't know, it was 20 or 30 years ago. You know, if everybody would put those drip irrigation systems in, uh, I would I would be looking for a new business to go into. You are 100% correct. <laughs> so I got your permission to cut that root. Yes, sir. I thank you, sir. And that big old pine tree is, you know, it's a big, you know, it's 40-something years old. And yep. I don't want that thing falling on my house, but that it's got a lot of lateral roots and a hell of a tap root, I think, doesn't it? They do. P- pine trees have a, a big tap root. You know, typically the only reason the feeder roots go out like that Looking is they found water. moisture somewhere. Yes, sir. I appreciate it, sir. You bet. Take care, Bill. Okay, I got a uh, email from Bruce in Frisco, and he says, I need my foundation raised about five inches on one corner of my house. I'm told that such a feat causes issues with the roof, brick falling off, pipes breaking, etc. Besides having a team of inspectors out, each with an agenda, what do you recommend I do to make sure everything is good? They are mudjacking, and we've had our plumbing pre-checked for leaks. How to tell which company is good and which is just making a buck. Don't mudjack it. Residential homes should not be mudjacked. They shouldn't have urethane put under them or anything else. The expansive soils, uh, it just wreaks havoc with it. When you have a foundation fix, you want enough underpinning to be able to support it without doing mudjacking or uh, urethane injection and if they're trying to do that they're trying to shortcut and make a quick buck with you yeah that and i'm in the foundation repair business i have the equipment to be able to do that five inches yes that is enough to break pipes and stuff if there's plumbing in that area but it's not a huge feat to do this i mean i've lifted homes as much as 18 inches just to level them uh, and i've lifted houses nine and a half feet out of flood water so it can definitely be done normally you want to do a static test to check the plumbing system before leveling and again after and like i said enough piers to support it without having to do all this mud jacking and stuff gail in dallas how can i help i have a walk-in attic in a townhome and the backing of the insulation is just crumbling off it's like a sheet of tissue paper right how can i get someone i need someone to repair that or redo whatever needs to be redone actually nothing needs to be done with it really no Uh, the paper that's on insulation is there for the inst for when the installers are putting it in it gives them something to staple you know it, it has little wings on it for them to staple to the joists and rafters and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, after that it, it's really not needed for anything else and as long as the insulation is staying in place there's absolutely no reason to mess with it and for a, a period of time there they were using insulation that had paper on both sides of it and they really don't do that much anymore because they found that was actually detrimental to the insulation and in order to solve that problem they were actually having people go in with uh box cutters and slice up all that paper so yeah just don't even worry about it 
All right. Well, there are a couple of places where the insulation is moving around and crumbling onto the floor. Ah, okay. Now, and if that's the case, then, yeah, something needs to be put in place to, to hold it up. Uh, for that, you will you can either have a handyman come in and do it or uh, an insulation company like uh, Garland Insulation or USA Insulation. But most of the time, they're going to want to take out what's there and put in new where the handyman can just put in some wire to hold the insulation in place. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. Let's head over to Fort Worth and Dow. Welcome to... KRLD, how can I help you? Good afternoon, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I have a stucco home, and I have a chimney. It's made of stucco, but toward the top of the chimney, they make it pretty. They have like a stair stepper down, uh-huh. and those are made out of styrofoam. And woodpeckers have been coming around for two years now. Uh, they came last year. I have it patched. It's like a 40 feet high from the ground. So it's pretty difficult to get a painter to come up there and patch it. And right. he came and patched it again this year, but it came again. So I keep, ha- keep having hole on that area. I mean, yeah. so what can I do, sir? Well, uh, to keep the woodpecker from coming, you're going to have to treat that up there because uh, what the woodpecker is looking at is there is food there for him. Uh, and that's in the form of, bu- of bugs. What they do is they go in there and they, they tap, tap, tap on the wood and yes, they're drilling some holes in there, but basically they drill those holes, bugs go into the holes, and that's what they eat. So you may have either ants or termites or something up there that the woodpecker is going after. So, um, okay, so that area is not wood. It's made out of styrofoam. When he pick on it, the styrofoam came down, the white yeah. styrofoam came down. So I see that. And I know I do see bees come... You know, like on warm day, I see yep. bees coming out of there. So that's so I what he's after. My, so I tried to on my fireplace, and I was hoping to kill the bee. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that won't because they're in the stuff that's outside, and what happens is they probably got into some moisture up there that gave them a nice place to live, and that's what's attracting the woodpecker is he's going after those bees. That's it. That's oh. his lunch. Okay, okay. So I have to treat the bee, hire somebody come in and look at yep. the bee? Yep. Okay. And, and once Ooh. there's not something up there for for the woodpecker to eat, he'll leave. Okay. And what the, who could I call? Well, it, it, it's going to depend on what uh, type of bees it is, if it's honeybees versus carpenter bees and things like that. So uh, I would start with a pest control company. Give ABC Pest Control a call. Yes, sir. And uh, they can take a look and see what you got up there and, and know which way to go to get rid of them. All right, all right. Thank you for your help, sir. You're welcome. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.